a little bit more happens when you can consistently continue to train, right? So I always say that the most important training session is tomorrow's training session, right? Proverbial tomorrow, because we don't want to do anything today that prevents us from training tomorrow, because we don't want to do anything tomorrow that prevents us from training the next day. Every one of my athletes, I would much prefer them walk out the gym saying, I probably could have done more today than I wish I wouldn't have done that. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joining the line later today by Will Fleming of One Kilo. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to give you a quick recap of the week that was, what's new and upcoming in my neck of the woods, and just get you up to date on everything that is going on in life. So let's look at last week. Very productive week, top to bottom. Got another podcast recorded uh, that'll be out in just a few weeks here with my guy Chris Chase of the Memphis Grizzlies. Absolutely love talking with Chris. This is going to be his third time coming on the show. But man, such a smart guy. I love where his head is at. I love how he's always forcing me to think whenever we're on the show. And obviously we share a similar space in the basketball world. But man, it's just fun to catch up with him. So I really think you're going to like that episode. Be on the lookout for that here in just a couple weeks. Uh, Started a couple new online clients last week, so that took a fair amount of time. And, you know, I think, look, online coaching isn't something that I promote. It's not something that I put out there or try and have, like, this massive volume of online clients. But I think part of that is due to the fact that if you do it right, it's a lot of work. Like, it's a lot of work. So we do, like, an intro call and we dive in. And then from there, I do like an initial eval of their pictures, their videos, all that good stuff. I take the time to write all that out, to sketch out in broad strokes what I'm going to do with them over the first couple of months. Then I actually create the program and I do it on paper first. So I have, you know, that freedom to scratch stuff out and be creative. And then I actually put it in the software. So, you know, maybe there's a faster way to do that. But I think with the first program, it requires some time. And it's just like you would treat a person live and in person, right? You wouldn't just like, okay, hey, here's our first program. Like you would take the time to get to know them, to understand their needs, their goals, their injury history. You'd watch them move. So trying to take that process from offline training and put it online, it's a little bit more time consuming, but ultimately I feel like I'm getting way better results. And, you know, Bill and I were going back and forth on this. And and one of the stipulations I put on all of my new online clients that come on board is, look, this doesn't work if you don't shoot video. And I think about when I first started, it was like video was just so cumbersome, whether it was getting it captured, whether it was uploading it, downloading it, it was like just a massive ordeal. And now video is so easily transferable, you know, between Dropbox or Google Drive or putting it into an email message. Like it's so easy. And it also gives you so much return on your investment as a coach. Because if I don't watch you move, like how do I know how to progress you, what's working, what's not? So it's not something that I promote a lot, but I'm enjoying online coaching a lot more here recently, I think because I have figured out the exact like structure and the exact way I want it to run to make it as close to offline training as possible. So anyway, soapbox over on that. Online coaching is going well, excited about the new people I have working uh, with me, and I'm excited about, I think, where we're going with their programming. Successful weekend in soccer, came home with two draws. Most importantly, Cade, who has a tendency to wax and wane with his interest and intensity and effort, really had a great game on Saturday. It was really fun. I felt like he was way more aggressive. The man's got some skills. Like, he's good on the ball. He can dribble. He's got a strong leg, maybe the strongest leg on the team. But again, just the intensity, he has a tendency to go up and down a little bit. So it's been fun to watch him here. I feel like he's gotten a little bit better each and every week. Great game this weekend. Kendall's team, man, just one girl on the other team really gave us some problems, but I felt like collectively as a team, we played a really good game, did some really good things with the ball, created a lot of opportunities too. It was a 4-4 draw, but I mean, they probably got about eight shots on goal the whole game, and we probably had about 20 to 25. So I feel really good about where we're at and We just haven't had much cooperation with the weather. I mean, you might even hear it today. It's been like Florida here for the last couple weeks where it's been very hot, very humid, pop up, not just rainstorms, but thunderstorms. That's 
impeded our progress in getting on the, the practice field a couple days a week. So hopefully that will clear out here soon as uh, we enter fall and hopefully we can get a few more practices under our belt so we can keep getting better. Kendall had a big day yesterday, got to go to Kentucky Kingdom with her friend, which is uh, a theme park about two hours south of us. So Jess and I had Cade, had an awesome day with him. We made it a yes day. So we got 36 holes of putt-putt in. The guy had ice cream for lunch, so hard to beat that. Went to the library because he loves the library. What else do we do? He got to play some video games on the iPad. Went to dinner because he wanted a burger and fries, so we got him an awesome burger and fries for dinner. So great day with him. And then, yeah, this week, pretty pretty status quo. I've got coaching going on. Obviously, I'm in the home stretch with my guys and gals. we got about two weeks left. My training is going really well. Excited about how I'm moving. Feel like I'm continuing to improve on that front. And I got a few new things that I'm going to be adding into the mix just to continue refining the movement and keep building that out. So happy about that. And then just really amp for a three-day weekend. Can't imagine myself doing too much on the work front. I'm going to try and do everything in my power to be done by Friday so I can chill out, relax this weekend. No soccer games. Do have a brisket flat that I have leftover it's frozen from my birthday but pretty excited to slap that on the kamado smoke it up and uh hopefully feed our family for a couple days so that's what's new in my neck of the woods i hope you're doing exceedingly well you know that's really it so we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into this awesome episode with my guy will one thing bill hartman and i have talked about for years now is the power of mentorship early on i didn't have a mentor to shape or guide me or most importantly, help me find the blind spots in my own training and coaching. But luckily, after many years of trial and error, I found Bill, and my professional success exploded as a result. But the downside to the mentorship process, at least professionally, is that it can be pricey. For private mentees that I work with, it costs anywhere from $3.99 to $5.99 per month to work together. And while I know the results go far beyond that price, the fact of the matter is that just won't work for a lot of folks. So when Bill and I sat down a while back, we asked ourselves a really tough question. How can we help shape the future of the industry and truly make it great? And beyond that, how can we create amazing content yet make it affordable to virtually every trainer or coach out there? And the answer for us was simple, restart iFast University. Here's what you'll get when you become a member of iFast University. One update each month from myself and Bill. This could cover anything from improving exercise technique to writing better programs and everything in between. Twice per month Q&As, where Bill and I will personally answer your questions to help you become better at training, coaching, or even running your fitness business. A Facebook group where you'll be surrounded by like-minded trainers and coaches who are serious about getting better, and access to the iFastU archives, where you'll be able to watch literally hundreds of pieces of content from the iFast team over the years. This blend of content and Q&A is specifically designed to help make you the best trainer or coach possible. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to ifastuniversity.com to get signed on. We'd love to have you on board. Will Fleming is a sports performance coach and weightlifting coach in Bloomington, Indiana. His expertise comes from years of training and coaching athletes in multiple sports. In 2018, Will sold Force Fitness and Performance and founded One Kilo. One Kilo specializes in Olympic weightlifting coaching for athletes both in person and online. In this show, Will and I take a deep dive into velocity-based training and how he's using it with his weightlifters. We start by talking about using VVT as a readiness tool, and from there, how it impacts his decision-making and training. We talk about how he uses it to plan and manage his monthly training cycles as well, versus using the older and more outdated percentage-based approach. We talk about the exercises he likes the most for power development, and if he focused more on field and court athletes, the two Olympic lifting derivatives he'd give them to maximize their power development. And last but not least, we talk a little bit about the evolution in his fitness businesses and how he's essentially gone through the cycle of opening a business, buying a business, and then selling one as well. There's a ton of great insight in this show, and I really think you're going to love it. But enough for me, let's do this. All right, Will, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to have you back on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? 
Yeah, man. So I'm, you know, just down the road from you, uh, yeah. about an hour south in Bloomington, Indiana, and I'm a weightlifting coach. I, I did, you know, the I was an athlete, a weightlifter. I was a track and field athlete. Did that for a long time. Then went into the sports performance game and had a gym called Force Fitness and Performance from 2008 to 2018. Sold that and then kind of focused all my attention on weightlifting. And right now I coach like everybody, I mean, in weightlifting, I got I'm going to Mexico next week uh, with one of my youth athletes. So an under 17 kid, he's going to nice. the youth Pan American championships. And then uh, I coach seniors who are really good. I got a female that I coached. that is one of the best in the country. She's on this like senior Pan American championships. And uh, just last week I had a, a guy who's a master's lifter set two master's world or three master's world records in weightlifting. So wow. I'm kind of coaching the gamut of weightlifting um, and we can kind of talk about that as like a choice, but um, you know, I'm just like a kind of a weightlifting junkie, love, love the sport. You know, I, I got obsessed with this idea as we have talked about is like transference in training. So as a sports performance coach, you know, sometimes it's a real struggle where you work with a soccer kid and they're more fit, they jump higher, they run faster but they're not any better. Right. I mean, like, right. they're, not, they're right. not getting, they're not getting better on the pitch because they don't have a good, you know, tactical and technical training, or, yep. you know, maybe they're just not talented at that stuff. They got bad hand, like a foot eye coordination kind right. of stuff. So, you know, we were kind of running into that, not, you know, not that that's that kid's fault, but as a coach, I kind of like that idea of being both the strength and conditioning coach, but also the sport coach and yes. in weightlifting that gives me the opportunity to be the, sport coach. And, and then it, you know, there's techniques and tactics in weightlifting competition that is just really fun to me. So that's kind of where I decided to specialize. So that's the, that's it in a nutshell. I, I got a, I got a young family. I got three kiddos and a wife and, you know, just trying to balance it all just like, like you are right. Yeah. Well, you're busy, man. Uh, it's funny right before this, I had Eric Cressy on and he's got three too. So I feel like an underachiever once again, oh, only two kids. I don't know, dude. Slacking. You got, you got two. Yeah, got a boy and a girl. Yeah, I I mean, it is like one is life changing, right? Yeah, you you know, you go from zero to one. That's an infinite change, <laughs> right? You go from one to two. It's like an it's like an incremental change, but two to three is like that one's again. That's another life changing one. It <laughs> felt like yeah, that's uh, what everybody says. And then, you know, then your wife, my wife, was like, "Do you want to have four? And I was like, <laughs> I mean, I was like, "No, no. I can't, we can't." Like, I'm good. I'm I'm struggling with three. So, yeah. Anyway. That's yeah. funny. That's funny. So it's it's been a couple years since I've had you on. Honestly, I was trying to look back. I know I've had you on at least once, maybe twice. It's been a while. But, yeah. you know, a lot's changed, obviously, like Rona and, you know, 2020. Yeah. So things have changed since we caught up last. So, like, give me the scoop. Like, what's new in your neck of the woods? What's changed for you in the last year or two? Oh, gosh. Well, 2018, you know, that was like me selling my gym, right? I mean, I've gone through the whole thing, right? So yeah. as on the gym owner side... Right. I started a gym. So in 08, I started a gym with a business partner, like a lot of people do. Right. Yep. So 08, I started a gym with a business partner. In 14, uh, he he was like, I'm done. I kind of went out. Yeah. Uh, so I, I bought him out. So then I started a gym, then I bought a gym, right? Yeah. So and then in 18, I sold a gym, right? So I've kind of right. gone through that whole gone through the whole cycle. process. Yeah. Start, yeah. Start, buy, sell the gym. And so that was probably the last big, I think, you know, I, I was looking through an email for you, you know, I was on in maybe 16 or 17. So we were after I bought the gym, but I sold it. And, you know, that was just, that was what we started talking about. Like, I love that idea of transference. The opportunity came along where somebody said, Hey, what, you know, would you want to, uh, you know, would you be open to me buying your gym? And we talked about it and had the opportunity to basically go from a high overhead kind of thing where I'm managing people and uh, down to like a solo entrepreneur, really low overhead, like better personal income thing, right? Yeah. And that's like, you know, I think that every gym owner at some point, you kind of are going, maybe you got clients, and then you go start the gym, right? And then the gym starts growing. And then it's like, you know, I need to add employees. And then I needed this and this and this. And there's never like that checkpoint where you go, is expansion the best idea? Or is it like maximizing personal income, you know, that Pat Rigsby stuff, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. Like business. And Pat, you know, Pat started kind of talking about that around, you know, pretty 
couple years before I, I like got in that opportunity. And I had just thought and evaluated that my ideal thing wasn't, you know, force fitness, the gym that I own, you know, huge facility. We had built it brand new in, in yeah. 15, uh, really pretty. Everything we would ever want was profitable, but you know, I wasn't coaching, right. I was like running a gym yes. and that's a totally different thing. Right. Yep. You know, which is what the gym needed. They needed like a man, like a general manager. And so I was talking to our accountant, making marketing budgets, planning our mar our transformation contest. But I wasn't yeah. out there like a couple hours a day I'd squeeze out there. But I was thinking about the meeting we had earlier and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So it's just it was like it was a really cool opportunity. And it's not you don't often get that where you can like say, I'm going to hit reset, put money in your bank account that is. Uh, really good for your family and then go still go do something you love. It's almost like a one in a, a million chance. And so yeah. I got the opportunity. I could just, I turned all those, had my online weightlifting business. So I went from big physical business to now I'm like probably 60, 40 or 70, 30 online to in-person. I still have an in-person footprint where I'm coaching 15, 20 people in person every week on just weightlifting I got, a, I got a couple kids who are like shot putters as well, which is kind of my yeah. expertise. So I, I got to keep those kind of people, you know, a bunch of online people just all towards weightlifting. So it's, you know, just a total transformation of a business where I was like high overhead, big place, you know, and then move it into kind of something like it is now. And so I was really, you know, fortunate when we talk about, you know, 2020, right. I already had all these things in place and had a really low overhead business. So I was like, I was very fortunate in that I wasn't, you know, didn't have like a payroll. I didn't right. have rent to pay and all that kind of stuff. So uh, that was an opportunity where my my business was doing just fine, you know? Yeah, so, that's awesome. Yeah. Kind of crazy. It, I mean, it, honestly, like just happenstance that it happened then, you know? It, and were you act, I don't know, maybe you don't want to talk about this, but like, were you actively looking to sell the gym or was it just something that happened and it just coincided with the fact that, hey, maybe I'd be more happy doing this <laughs> anyway, so... Well, okay. So as a gym owner, there, there had been times where people had approached us, uh, approached us when I had a business partner and then approached me where they're like, would you be interested in selling? I was never ready. Right. right. I was always interested. Right. I always thought like I would be silly to not, if there was a certain number attached to it. Right. But it, it was another one Pat had said was like interested and ready. Right. It's like people yeah. like join your email list when they're interested. Right. Yeah. And you have to keep talking to them. Yeah. So that the moment that they're ready, you're there. Right. Yeah. So uh, it was somebody who had like mentioned it to me previously and then just came back around. So I was always interested. And I probably was at the point where I was like, man, it, and I think I told my wife maybe six months before, if I ever get an offer above this amount, remind me to take it. <laughs> because I really want to like, I would love to just coach weightlifting. Yeah. We did, we did um, Simon Sinek's It Starts With Why. That was like one of the books we read as a staff at my gym. Yeah. And we were trying to go through all the exercises that were kind of associated with it to establish the why of our gym. Yeah. Right. You know, where we're trying to, you know, which is really hard. I had like 10 full-time employees and, you know, they're like, well, I think it's this and I think it's this and I'm interested in this, you know? So it was like, very difficult. And one of the coaches asked me a really pointed question. He said, well, Will, how would you know that you're a success? Like, what would be the thing where you would know you're, you, you have been successful? And I said, if I coach someone to the Olympics, that would mean yeah. I like made it, right? Yeah. And, and that was really clear to me. And I remember exactly where we were sitting and I said that. But I was at the gym. That was maybe nine months before I sold the gym. And then I was like, I'm never going to have an opportunity to do that because I'm never, co I'm, I'm hardly coaching, right? Like yeah. I'm not able to interact with my people enough to like, to do that. So then that came, that was when I knew that I was ready. Yeah. I was still going to keep doing, I wasn't going to like bail on the business. I just was going to keep going. And then this opportunity presented itself and it was like, okay, you know, perfect timing. Yeah. So, that's cool. That was, yeah. That, and that's cool. So Talk to me a little bit more about, and we're going to talk about weightlifting in a minute, but I'm intrigued by this. So now talk to me a little bit about your current business model, because yep. I'm sure going through last year, I mean, I was where you were, right? Yep. Like we hit 2020, we had payroll, right? We yeah. had lease. And like, I just remember we wrote our landlord and they're like, uh, sorry, you have to pay. <laughs> like there was no negotiating. So 
Like we had bills due and all of that. And so I know a lot of people that either had businesses and have closed down or maybe just the shell shock of that are thinking about how can I scale back? So would you mind talking us to a, a, a little bit more about what your model looks like now? Because I guarantee yeah. certain people are going to be interested in that. Yeah. So, I mean, I never want to, wanted to be like a full online coach, right? Mm-hmm. Because I just always want to have touch with people. Yes. And I, have, I use a really cool product and this might be jumping the gun. I use this thing called Coach Now to coach my online people and I have for maybe two and a half years. And it's really great. It's like coach's eye, like almost like a Facebook feed. So you oh, can cool. like, so every time you, you know, somebody posts a video, it goes in the feed for the, the team or they can have their own individual space. Right. Yep. And you go in there and like, as soon as you pull it up, you're doing voiceover drawn on it. You can do side-by-side comparisons. So I could put like Lu Zhaozhen next to some 25 year old kid who's learning to snatch in Arkansas. Right. Right. And I get to do this, this, and this. And so that I have this great thing, but that's not, that's like really detailed feedback every day or something once a day or three times a week or whatever. And so I always wanted to coach in person where I'm like, let's work on this and let me get you in the right position, all that kind of stuff. So I knew that I wanted to have that. So I really, I have like, I had initially two wings of my business. Now I have three, right? And so I have like um, in-person coaching and I keep that relatively small. You know, that's all people local to Bloomington and all that kind of stuff. And then I have online coaching uh, which is uses that coach now service and they're getting programs delivered to them on, on like a Google drive kind of thing still. Yeah. And then, and that was kind of my business. And I probably was putting more towards the online stuff uh, for ease. It's, you know, probably 60% of my business, 65% of my business, usually online. And then 35 to 40% of my business is in person. And that was like, and, and it makes it really easy. One thing that I would like advise everybody to do is I'm super niched, right? Mm -hmm. Like that was one thing. And that is totally an accident. I never thought that I was going to, you know, I wanted to train every kind of athlete. You know, we've talked about this all the time. right? If you're a good coach, you probably can train every kind of athlete, right? I can figure out how to train kid in lacrosse, kid in football, women's soccer, volleyball, all those things, right? And and I have uh, trained all of them, but I got really super niched and it's, you know, mostly working with weightlifters and then the ones that are finding me online are usually masters weightlifters right yeah and they you know they can pay for my service and and they are you know they're attracted to the fact that i'm like pretty considerate about how i coach technique and i'm not like brash i don't have like a big online persona it's just like you know here's how you should do this better and here's how you do this better and and right you you do a really similar job right like i'm a thinking man strength coach right yeah I'm interested in how you do stuff and why it's important that we do it correctly and all that. So that's kind of my online business. And then last year, I actually leveraged the fact that I have a decent audience to start selling like stuff that is good for weightlifting, like knee wrist wraps, lifting straps, backpacks, all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's cool. My team is called One Kilo and I sell it under the One Kilo brand. We have like um, some really cool like knee sleeves with little handles, you pull them up like three layer wrist wraps that are unique to uh, our wrist straps, uh, you know, just stuff that I already use yep. and was able to find a manufacturer and like put them together. So my business then is like in-person weightlifting, online weightlifting, and then, you know, those products that are associated with, yeah. with weightlifting that are, are useful. And together that makes like a pretty solid business, right? Yeah. Uh, whereas like one leg itself probably it would be fun, but I'd be, I'd have a lot of free time. Right. But put three together and I'm doing some good stuff. And, you know, we just, I recently had like a, added a lower price coaching option and then going to have like a, a third coaching option coming up soon. That's like kind of real entry level kind of thing. So sure. really spanning that like online, I want to have like multiple options so that people can come in at different prices in person is its own option. And then, you know, the stuff that I can sell. So the business has kind of been, and honestly, all of those things came about like just organically. Cause you, I like doing it. Never did yeah. I think, man, I want to have products. I want to have this or that, but you know, they all are, are helpful to make a, a pretty decent business. Yeah. Well, just two things come to mind. Number one, multiple price points, right. Based on yeah. individualization, just like you would do in your offline yep. biz. Right. Yep. Well, you have boot camp and semi-private and one-on-one. Totally. Uh, 
man, shout out to the knee sleeves. I mean, when oh, I was powerlifting, nothing felt better than slapping the knee sleeves on and getting oh, after some squats. They're amazing, oh, aren't they? God. Yeah. Oh, I love a knee sleeve. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So one of the big things I want to focus on today, kind of pivoting here, is talking about weightlifting and talking about VBT because yeah. I know it's something that you're passionate about, something I've used quite a bit with our athletes. So let's start very entry level. Why are you such a big fan of VBT in weightlifting? Okay. So, I mean, this goes back a long time. You know, the very first time I saw VBT was, I can't remember, 2004 or five at like a Big Ten championships. Iowa came rolling into our weight room because we were hosting the, the Big Tens. University of Iowa's track throwers came rolling in our weight room, toting a bag. And it was like, <laughs> right. And they hooked it up. And I, I was like, kind of like listening, you know, they were our biggest com- competitors and I was listening. They're like, Oh, I just hit a PR on his snatch. It was like 80 kilos. Right. And I was like, what are you talking about? Got, I mean, I was like, I snatched 140. I'm going to smoke this guy. Right. right. <laughs> uh, but they're like, he, you know, he snatched 80 at 2.8 meters per second. Right. Like he's, he's ready. And sure enough, the guy PR'd and like their whole team PR'd, they all hit it. So I was kind of paying attention to it. And then our good friend Rufus. And then so every time like an entry level VBT, to, you know, because Tendos were still $1,500. Yeah. I think Jim Ware came out 2,500 bucks. Yeah. Um, and then anytime like an entry level one would come in. And at one point I got like a bar sensei. Yeah. There's one called like a my, um, like a Myo. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I know. I know the one you're talking about. That, right? Yeah. I got one of those. I got a bar sense, you know, then that turned into bar set and I got a push at one point. Yeah. And so I was getting all the accelerometer ones because I couldn't afford the other ones and just always playing with it. But, you know, those, those ones were kind of inherently the, anything, the accelerometer ones push, all those, I always had like issues with connectivity and like yeah. tracking reps, particularly when it came to Olympic lifts because to the Olympic lifts, it just made sense. Right. To me, it's like, these are about speed. How, let's quantify how fast we're going. Right. Yes. But the only people who were really talking about it were like Louis Simmons, right? Dynamic right. effort. You need to go 0.6 meters, uh, 0.6 to 0.7 or 0.75 to 1.0 meters per second, right? I can do a Louis Simmons impersonation right now if you'd like, but I'll, I'll save it. Um, <laughs> Later. I'll, we'll put it in the lightning round because I want to hear it. You know, and then, you know, Brian Mann's book, he's talking about dynamic effort, a lot of average velocity stuff. And then this was the one that like really piqued my interest. Uh, you know, our friend Rufus, we were talking about one of the old Soviet manuals, right? And yeah. I think it's like man- managing the training of the weightlifter by Roman. They were talking about a successful snatch must, at, or an athlete of 180 centimeters to achieve a successful snatch must snatch at 1.98 to 2.03 meters per second, right? Like that is wow. their peak velocity. So that was like in Roman. And then in Roman had a chart and I think he actually was on the eye. It was like 150, 170, 190 centimeters. Like these were your speeds you had to hit to make a successful snatch. These are the speeds you have to hit to make a successful clean and all that. So that was the first time I started seeing people really talk about on weightlifting. Right. Rufus one day wanted to get rid of his Tendo. And so he sold it to me. And so I started tracking everything, like all of my lifts with no intent to like use it other than I was just like looking at it. Right. So every lift I was doing, I was like putting the Tendo on, tracking it and figuring it out. And then maybe a year and a half ago, a company called Rep One, if you've seen those, they came out and Rep One are like, they're a Tendo or a gym aware for 400 bucks, right? Okay. And they're this little tiny unit, you know, like this big, I probably have one in my bag right now. <laughs> they're a little tiny unit. They're like 400 bucks. So I got a couple of those and I started tracking my athletes list too. So that, you know, I had a couple going at a time. Right. And that just like was piquing my interest because I was trying to figure out like what's the and me and Rufus have had had a dozen conversations. In fact, you know, like of how exactly would you use VBT for weightlifters, right? Yep. Uh, what you know, what could you do? And so that was just kind of like a goal that I set out to try and figure out. And you know, the easy easy way to use VBT, and I, I know I'm jumping the gun. You had sent me a couple of questions ahead of time. The easiest way to use VBT for athletes is take those minimums that Roman put, right? Yep. So that, that managing training the weightlifter, he put minimum speeds for a height. And just keep your athletes above those minimums, right? So right. Like, you're going to stay 5% above this minimum and just see how that goes. Now, there's a bunch of intricacies when it comes to weightlifting, right? Because 
you know, a, a bar path, if you're, you know, if your technique's not really solid, I think velocity is kind of hard to measure consistently. Yep. But if you have an athlete who's pretty established with their hang clean technique, their hang snatch technique, all that kind of stuff, their full snatch, you know, whatever, power clean, power snatch, uh, if they have a pretty solid and established technique, then you can use that and just keep them abo- above a minimum, right? And you go in and you say, we're going to stay 5% above this minimum. Yep. Uh, and any rep that drops, you know, too close to that, we're going to call it a day. Just like uh, that, you know, that's what probably the easiest way to use it in a squat too, right? It's For like, sure. Here's the minimum velocity, uh, velocity threshold. We're going to keep it above that. So yep. yeah, that's, I mean, weightlifting itself is like speed, right? So yep. uh, I've known that from the moment, you know, I started weightlifting 20 something years ago that it's like, if you go fast, that's, you know, that's better than going slow in weightlifting. <laughs> right. So we can, we can, uh, so then let's quantify it. And too often, I just thought weightlifters were like quantifying the success of any given day by how much weight was on the bar when we know that that's not how you continually make progress, right? There's right. got to be, there's got to be light and fast days. There's got to be moderate days and all that kind of stuff. And so if we could put another metric in there, that was a little more true. We would benefit from it. Yeah, for sure. So with all of these tools, and obviously there's been this resurgence in weightlifting, I feel like in the last five to 10 years for various reasons. Do you see a lot of people that are maybe jumping the gun with this stuff and they're like, oh yeah, I'm using whatever, I'm using my Tindo, but you're like looking at them and you're like, dude, your technique is awful. Yeah. Like, like, do you see people jumping the gun with this stuff to try and use the cool tool? Yeah, I mean, I think that, P- yeah, I think that, you know, sometimes somebody gets the tool and then they start applying it to too many people. Right. Right. Uh, when it's like the way I look at it, it's just another variable. Right. And so, you know, the first variables are sets, reps, all that kind of stuff. And then we talk about loading and then, you know, like, let's say you used RPE for your athletes, right. That's not good for every athlete. Somebody who's right. fairly untrained has no sense what an RPE is. Right. <laughs> right. You know, so like, uh, velocity is really similar to like an RPE measure in that it's a, it's a tool to evaluate what kind of loading you should go to on that given day. So, yeah, I would say, you know, you want to hold that off. The technique's got to be established. Uh, the athlete probably has to have a pretty good sense of what it is to train in and of itself, right? It, what right. it is to get through that. And then it might be a really good tool. I, I talk about pe- that to people when we evaluate like percentage-based loading, RPE, reps and reserve, going to a rep max, yep. terms like heavy, moderate, light, whatever that is, the way that you would go prescribe, you know, the intensity, velocity is just, you know, a really true tool to, to prescribe intensity, right? Because yeah. that, that like 80%, the 80% on a testing day, that, that speed is going to carry over even with daily fluctuations, right? So For you're sure. going to, if you want the result of 80%, you can actually get that, but you just have to have an athlete who, you know, you probably have to have a testing day with the athlete so you can get a velocity profile. And if they're yeah. not very well trained, then what a testing day is going to be pretty ineffective in itself. For yeah. Sure. So I'd say yeah, that is definitely a mistake. It's like, we don't want people jumping the gun. It's not a panacea. It's not for beginners, but it is really valuable for a certain group of athletes, uh, weightlifters, or, you know, your performance-based athletes. For sure. And we'll talk more about that because, yeah, I think there's a lot of merit. So coming back to this idea and and the way I kind of envision this is like thinking about how you'd use it throughout the course of a training session, right? So how are you using VBT as a readiness tool with your athletes and the weightlifters that you coach? You know, this is a good one, right? One of the easiest ways, like this is like if I had one velocity unit, I would probably like if I had one Tendo um, or you know, one gym wear, one rep one, right? That, that's all I could have. I would have it set up on a station, particularly if you're, if you're Olympic lifting, if you're using weightlifting stuff and we do it, you know, I just put a weight on the bar. I personally use 50% of my one rep max snatch, but you could use, you could just have a standard weight for almost everybody in the, in the room. Yep. And we just do a couple trials of a muscle snatch, right? Okay. So muscle snatch is a super simple weightlifting exercise. Probably it equates a lot of what we're trying to do in the snatch, but there's less impact and all that kind of stuff. And so we'll do a muscle snatch. You can imagine if you, if you can't think of a muscle snatch, it's, you know, a snatch, just no rebend on the catch. It's all pull, right? Right. So you are really trying to pull it to its maximum possible height 
uh, and there's no termination point. You don't have to slow it down to turn it over or anything like that, but you're going to, you're going to pull it as fast as you can. And then we're going to, we're going to take those speeds and evaluate them on your daily norm. Right. And so, you know, we've seen that that's like that sort of thing is really accurate uh, to evaluate readiness when it comes to like vertical jump, you, you do that with a vertical jump, that'll uh, give you a, an evaluation of, you know, I think the daily work that they can complete. So the higher it is, athletes probably going to be able to squat more or, or squat more sets. So, uh, or a, like a loaded barbell jump, right? So it's like uh, height with a barbell on their back on a jump or velocity with a barbell on their back for a jump. Um, so for, we've just kind of extrapolated that and then I've tested it with a bunch of our athletes in person is using a muscle snatch in the same way that some people might test readiness for a vertical jump with a vertical jump um, or a loaded back squat jump. And really it's just cause it's like a super simple weightlifting tool. We are weightlifters. I coach only weightlifters. So it's like, let me use a something within the weightlifting scope to test it as opposed to rolling out my just jump mat. We already have the, you know, the, the rep one hooked up on a bar and yep. ready to go. Nice. Nice. Okay. So you've done this, right? You've figured out, okay, they're about where we'd expect them to be, or they're trending up or they're trending down. How do you then take those numbers to help you better manage your training loads, your volumes and all that good stuff? Yeah. So, you know, there's probably a threshold. What I, what I've actually found is most days are just pretty good days, right? right. It's like, right. I mean, honestly, like with most people's training, you're going to find out that it, they're right where they should have been. Right. So you don't yeah. have to modify whatsoever. Right. It's like, okay. I would say 90 something percent of the times that I test 90%, 92% of the times that I test people, they're like right in that range where it's like their sweet spot. I'd say with a muscle snatch, like 3.0 meters per second is probably like, you know, from 2.9 to 3.1 is where you're going to see most people every single day. And that's 90 something percent. And then there's maybe four or 5% of sessions, 4%. It's fewer that this is the, the least amount of sessions are they're low, right? It's 2.8, 2.7, right? Right. And, and honestly, like, because it's so infrequent, that totally becomes just a recovery day. Like yep. that's a sit down, what's going on? And it's usually a real clear, I didn't sleep last night, right? Like I I was up late uh, doing homework, then I couldn't fall asleep. And, you know, da, 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 right? I got four right. hours of sleep. I got four hours of sleep. It's not even adjust the volume. It's just like the day's over. We're going to like, we're going to roll. We're going to recover. We're going to do some breathing stuff. We might do like, you know, co we have like a couple hip flows that we'll do to like yep. loosen up, just do that and then get out of here. Yeah. And then on days that it's good, right. Where it's like 3.2, 3.3 meters per second. It's like, let's see what we got, right? Like, Oh, we are doing like hang power snatch. Uh, uh, you know, if that, if that double feels as good as I think it should, you can try You know, you can try a heavy single today, right? That's right. fine but we make those really minor adjustments. And, and honestly, it's like, you know, 5% of the sessions are amazing. 5% are not that great. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, one thing people are afraid, like, Oh, if I take velocity, it's going to tell me the guys don't feel good, but they got to work right. Today's a day we got to work. And most of the times it tells you, uh, well, they feel fine. Uh, do what's already on the books, or right. I see them, like they feel pretty good. Let's go, you know, let's go for it. Right. Right. Um, so more often than not, it's actually like tells you that they feel better than maybe what they even reported or something mm. like that. That's cool. That's cool. And then talk to me about how you use it like throughout the, tr the training week, right? Like how do you set up? Cause it's been a little bit since I read the BBT book, but I know you yeah. kind of like wave it and you've got certain days that are maybe higher reps or like lower bar speeds, like how do you set that up throughout the week so that you can kind of manage, because we, we're of a certain age, right? So we remember yeah. like the bill star high, medium, low, yeah. like how are you taking that concept and maybe applying it with BBT? The kind of easiest, if we zoom out to the monthly level, I think that's maybe the easiest way to picture okay. it with how I like to do it typically. Um, now, if you come, come into the weekly level, we may see some fluctuation, but the easiest way that I think about it is like, I go like a base week, a build week, recovery week, PR week, right? Yeah. Typically across four weeks. And so the base week is like, we're setting a number and we probably are, let's say like five to, or seven and a half percent above our minimum velocity threshold, yeah. seven and a half to 10% yeah. above our minimum velocity threshold. And so if we just, we're just going to take a, a, like a really round number 
2.0 meters per second. We might be like 2.1 to 2.15 meters per second on the snatch, right? Right. And we're going to do all our reps in there. We could be we could be doing triples. We could be doing doubles. We could be doing singles. But it's 2.1 to 2.15. Week two, we're going to up the intensity, so we may, might be like, you know, closer to five percent, right? So 2.05 to 2.1 meters per second. And so we're like, we're like a little closer to that maximum level. Now, the fun thing I've done is like week three is like, we just call it like a speed buster week. So it's like, we're actually like, we're trying to go pretty light. We might be 2.2 meters per second, like above 10. And we're probably doing like eight singles instead of, you know, three triples. Right. We're just like moving something really, really fast. Yep. Um, and that's kind of, that's our week three deload. And then week four, we'll come back and we'll hit closer to that minimum velocity threshold, right? So you yep. might even, we might hit 2.01 meters per second or 2.0 meters per second if that's like kind of our minimum velocity threshold. So kind of intensity and then the speed ramps up really high in week three. And then week four is probably our most intense, heaviest yep. weights kind of thing. And then, so within the week, you know, we might see that kind of stuff where we put snatches on one day and clean and jerks on another because those have way different velocity thresholds and, and, Ultimately, that means we're going to have a way different response from the athlete, right? So, yeah. you know, our squats doing a similar kind of thing. So, see, this is what I love about this. Like, I know I've used that kind of training, like mesocycle, whatever we want to call it, over four weeks. I've used it when I was powerlifting. Joe Kins used it with his athletes. I always did it, again, this was back in the day when I was powerlifting, like 15 years ago. But, like, the thing that I was doing was I was always using it percentage-based, and we know yeah. that there's a lot of fluctuations in there. The thing that I love about VBT, and I wish I would have used it more, and I use it all the time with my like bigger, stronger athletes now, is the objectivity, right? Yeah. Because now there's not this back and forth of, oh, well, I hit 330 last week, so I have to go to like 340 this week or 350. It's yeah. like, hey, dude, you can hit whatever you want as long as you hit it in this zone. And yeah. if you don't, I don't care. And you shouldn't yeah. care either because we know, hey, if your body is telling you you need to back off, hey, Hopefully next week you're going to be primed and ready to go. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's like the most objective thing. We, we've seen that a bunch, right? Like if you start using all those things, like, you know, people say, well, I'll use RPE. That's, you know, that'll, that's, that's going to give me a feeling each week. But you, you've had, I've had athletes where if I said like RPE eight, right. They'll go till they fail and right. get like pinned to the ground. And they'll be like, I was seven and a half coach. I, I think yeah. I got <laughs> Right. No. Right. Right. And that, or, you know, you, there's some athletes who like, you know, they just smoke it. They're there in three sets and they're like, yeah, that, that was definitely an eight. And it's like, that was no way that was an eight. Right? right. That was a three, you know, like, right. Or you tell somebody to work up to a rep max. Right. And you're like, okay, well that'll get them. Right. And then some people will take 22 sets and add like a kilo at a time right. trying to get that rep max. And, and then some people will just like be there. Right. So it's like yeah. both of those, those are totally different responses. Like what, you know, what that did to your body yeah. is not at all what we had in mind. VBT, like this is what it is, right? Achieve that, that, that is as close to the response that we wanted to get out of the body as we can possibly get. Cause it's, it's so objective. Yes, absolutely, man. So what, like you've alluded to, you've run so many numbers over the past couple of years. I'm curious, what lifts have you found to create the most power? Oh yeah, dude, this, the muscle snatch by far, like, okay. you know, I say I'm an Olympic lift guy, like people, you know, that big thing and strength conditioning. Well, like, oh, I'm not an Olympic, like, you're an Olympic lift guy, but I'm not an Olympic lift guy. Like, right, right, right. If I were to try and sell someone on it, I would be like, all you need to do in your program is do, do the muscle snatch, right? If you do that, you're doing what you need to get like in terms of power output. Cause the reason you would go do Olympic lifts, if you're a football strength conditioning coach, you're a you know, soccer strength conditioning coach, any of those things is you want to, you want to touch kind of that peak power zone, right. Yeah. Um, where it's like that, you know, whatever, 60 to 80% of peak force kind of stuff, whatever that is, where Olympic lifts are a really direct route to that. And the thing that is the best of all of them is the muscle snatch. So this is one I did with the Tendo a couple of years ago where I hooked up uh, the Tendo. I was doing muscle snatches at 70 kilos, put it to the peak power kind of output, thing that the tendo can do yeah and it was like 4700 watts right okay and, and that was a muscle snatch at 70 kilos probably a couple weeks later i did a a clean 
a PR clean at 165 kilos and, you know, caught it pretty high because I'm kind of an inefficient cleaner. Right. Um, I'll try to power clean everything and then write it down. Right. I caught it pretty high. And that was like 4,650 watts, right? Okay. So, you know, almost the same. Those are about the two highest things I've ever tracked on the Tendo in terms of power output. Yeah. And one is a 70 kilo muscle snatch and one is 165 kilo clean. It's like, <laughs> if you're a strength conditioning coach, which one would you rather have your guys do, right? Which yeah. one has less it less like uh, negative outcome potential, right? That's right. 70 kilo muscle snatch, right? And really power output, if you know, you talk about dumb guy physics, you go back, I'm not like the smartest guy when it comes to training, but if you go back to dumb guy physics, like power is force times velocity. We break that down a little bit more. Force is mass times acceleration. So you have, you have power as mass times acceleration times velocity. Yep. And if you just think about the three words in that equation, mass, acceleration, velocity, acceleration and velocity are like speed terms, right? Right. So power output is really a speed equation, right? Yep. So it's like, it, there is load, mass is in there, sure. but uh, it's like- It's, it's like one third of the equation. Yeah, exactly, right? Two thirds is, is something to do with speed, right? Mm -hmm. And then one third is load. So a 70 kilo muscle snatch, not an insignificant amount of weight. You could, if you move that really fast, you're talking, you know, do a muscle snatch, you're 3.1, 3.2 meters per second. That bar is moving pretty well because it's such a long pull. Again, now you start thinking the longer the pull, uh, the higher the point that it needs to reach to be affixed and, and finished, the more speed that it has to have, right? Yeah. So you think about longer pulls, longer things you're going to have more power output because you're going to have to have higher speed. So muscle snatch is going to be to clean. So I'm just like a huge proponent of saying, let's go with a muscle snatch. One other kind of one that I've been really excited about is one of my really good friends is a, a track and field athlete. And he's, he's uh, 31 or 32. And since he was 18, he's vaulted over 18 feet. Right. So he's gone like six, 15 years straight of going over 18 feet you know, qualifies for the, has qualified for three Olympic trials, really good pole vaulter. And he is like a Dan path acolyte, right. Has yeah. been coached by Dan post-collegially and Dan is a big guy. And, and they have this way, you know, Dan is, you know, the most successful track coach in the world. And Dan has this thing called like a rollover program where it's basically the same three workouts over and over and over ad nauseum forever. Right. <laughs> and my buddy's been doing, the three-day rollover program as a strength conditioning for like seven or eight years. Right. And, and one of their tests is an overhead back throw with a 4k shot put. And my buddy's PR for six years has been 23 meters, five centimeters. Right. Okay. And so that's about 75 feet. So he threw a 4k shot overhead backwards, 75 feet doing this rollover program. And he said, you know, it, he tests it probably once a month. And he said, every month I throw, 2290 to 23 meters, right? He goes, I haven't broken my PR since 2016, 2290 oh, wow. to 23. I'm, I'm always in the same shape, right? Yeah. That's kind of, you know, his thing. He and I had talked about muscle snatches. He goes, I replaced all my hang cleans, all my hang power snatches with just muscle snatches, right? That's all I did. He goes, I'm 32. And I went out and I PR'd my overhead back throw by 60 centimeters, right? He goes, so I switched Whoa. out. We were doing, yeah. And he's like, that's not it. That is not insignificant when you've no. had the same PR for five years, right? No. He's like 2016, I PR'd that at 2305. I went on through 2365. And the only change I've done in my programming is in my weightlifting. I put in muscle snatches instead of hang power cleans and hang muscle and hang power, hang power snatches. So it's like, it really is like a power output exercise. Yeah. Um, so that's one of my favorite things. And like he, he texted PATH and, and Dan PATH was like, that definitely deserves some more consideration. So yeah, there you go. That's awesome. Yeah, so that, I'm a, I'm a huge acolyte for that. Okay, well, I'm definitely gonna have to uh, work that into some of my athletes' programs because I can see yeah. the value of that. Okay, well, now that we're just like roasting all of the sacred cows, mm -hmm. you and I had this email exchange prior to the show, and you mentioned something I thought was really interesting. You know, in our world, people always talk about pulls, pulls, pulls. You got to do more pulls if you just want to use the Olympic lifts, but not learn the full lifts. Right. And, you know, there's certain contexts where people don't want to do weightlifting movements. So, you know, that might seem counterintuitive. So could you explain why those pulls may not be the best 
thing for them and what you would maybe do instead? Yeah. Okay. So this is, you know, huge thing. If we go, we go back, I think that if you can teach weightlifting to your athletes, you should, you know, teach it as long as, you know, you have all the the pieces in place where you're able to coach them intelligently enough and intently enough to watch them lift. I think you're going to get some benefits out of some of those, those Olympic lift variations, muscle snatch being one of them. But a lot of coaches will say, well, we just, you know, we don't even turn it over the lifts. We're just going to do poles. Yes. Because it's basically the same thing. We're getting most of the benefit out of it. Right. Yeah. I feel like that is the argument, right? Everybody's like, we're just going to pull and we'll drop it and we'll be done. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. We'll just do, we'll do power shrugs. We'll do yes. hang clean poles, whatever. Well, the issue is those, although they mimic the kind of movement from above the knee and maybe if you do from the floor and all that kind of stuff, you're never going to reach the same peak speeds, right? Because if you terminate the lift early and shorten the distance, it isn't going to make the the same peak speed. So if you think about if you run a race, right? And you you run to 50 meters and somebody else runs to 100 meters, the guy who ran to 100 meters is going to hit a higher peak velocity because he had more time to to, you know, make up make it up to that. Yep. So you're never going to hit the same speeds and therefore you're never going to have the same power outputs as a traditional lift. So, and I've done this with like, you can't like drop the load and the speed goes up. It's because it has an early termination point. It's never going to, it's never going to reach the same speeds and same power outputs. So what I like actually tell people to do, it's you can't do a straight arm pull high pull still doesn't do it. If you're actually going to do it, we've been doing like, you know, athletes who have some sort of wrist issue or I had a shot putter who had a wrist issue this past spring. And so we were doing hand release pulls. So we would get set up, pull as hard as we could and just let go in the air. So we don't terminate the lift, right? We don't like stop it or decelerate it. We let it go. It's almost like doing a med ball throw, right? Right. It's uninhibited power. Yeah. Um, and that's the only pull that reaches the same velocities and therefore same peak power. So, you know, the pull itself is never going to actually equate to a full, to an actual lift. So the only one that was, was uh, equal was the hand release pull. Uh, some people have said like do a, uh, this is a totally inappropriate name, but there's not a different name for it. Like a panda pole, uh, <laughs> which is like the Chinese team is known for doing that. Okay. Um, they call it a panda pole where you almost like, you pull and then come down to the bar, which is okay. really hard to teach. Right. Um, so we just do a hand release pull. So, you know, have those drop mats, yeah. lift, and let go, and then reset and go again. Okay. So that's the only pull that reaches the same speeds. Interesting. So if you were going back to like working with football, right, yeah. and you don't want to teach the full lifts for whatever reason, that is that would be the way that you would go with it, huh? Yeah, I would. And, you know, and I don't think like even the trap bar jump, the trap bar people tend to not get their hips through, right? Yeah. So if you watch yeah. somebody, they usually leave their hips back. So we're getting some sort where it may get speeds, but we don't get like the movement pattern, right? Yeah. So I think that there's some some drawbacks there. I mean, if I had just lifters and they said, we don't want to do hang or just like a football team, I would teach them all how to do some version of muscle snatch and like a hand release pull. Yeah. Uh, that would be, those would be my power output exercises. Cause I think they're the easiest to teach, yep. right? A muscle snatch, like the cool thing about that muscle snatch is like, if you teach them to keep it close, they, there's not really that like odd turn it over, sit and catch kind of thing that right. they can kind of go funny in a power snatch. Uh, like, so I would do muscle snatches and a hand release pull. Huh? No, I'm just thinking about like some of my basketball people, right? Like just anthropometrically, they are yeah. challenged. Right. Yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways. And and they don't always have this gravity to be in the weight room a lot anyways. But I could see how on like a muscle snatch or like you said, where that like where you're releasing the bar at the top, they could probably get behind that because, you know, it doesn't have some of the other stuff that they would probably worry about. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you know, the mu- OK, let's go back to muscle snatch again. What are some of the weird things about a snatch that cause people issues? Some of the impact to like a wrist, if you get in a bad position exactly. and you're catching, you know, a decent weight, the shoulder as it like has to stabilize because the bar became kind of weightless and then it comes down on you. Yeah. That's kind of funky. The loopiness of a bar, like a heavy bar sometimes if you do a power snatch. Yeah. But a muscle snatch is really vertical. 
you're always in connection with it. There's not that moment where an athlete like becomes disconnected and then it hits them. Yes. It's full and turnover. They're always kind of connected. So there's less impact on the wrist, shoulder, elbow kind of stuff. And then, you know, the hand release pull is just super simple, right? The only thing you would do is you got to, you'd have end up with a really loud weight room, but a lot of people are making those drop pads now, yeah. um, which are easy to get. So yeah, those would be my kind of two big power output ones. If you didn't want to go hang power snatch, hang snatch, hang yeah. clean. Or, well, and, and the thing that I like about that too is like you kind of alluded to, I see a lot of people with like a concentric only trap bar, right? Yeah. Like you said, inevitably technique tends to break down, especially as they get heavier or they'll do like a trap bar jump and then that's great. But then I see them trying to land and I'm like, dude, the, yeah, like, that's weird, right? Like, like, how's that? Like how much force is going through them when they land with that bar? So it's <laughs> like a lot of times I'm trying to minimize some of that, you know, at least with the guys that I work with. So that's great. Yeah. Okay, you've already done the big question, so I'm going to take this in a little bit different route. Yeah. What would you say is the biggest change you've had to either your training or maybe your overall thought process in the past two to three years? I am a big minimum dose guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, my, you know, the name of my club is one kilo, right? And in weightlifting, the minimum increment you can take in a meet is a one kilo increase, right? Yeah. So, like as a piece of marketing, it makes sense because every time it, at a weightlifting meet, you hear so-and-so is on deck for the one kilo increase on the one kilo increase. So you hear my, my, the name of my club, the brand, yeah. many times weightlifting meet. but it also is like my philosophy, right? And that, yep. you know, just a little bit more, right. Is what we're after. And a little bit more happens when you can consistently continue to train. Right. Yep. So I always say that the most important training session is tomorrow's training session, right? Yep. Proverbial tomorrow, because we don't want to do anything today that prevents us from training tomorrow because yep. we don't want to do anything tomorrow that prevents us from training the next day. Yep. And that little bitty. So I want all of my, every one of my athletes, I would much prefer them walk out the gym saying I probably could have done more today than I wish I wouldn't have done that. Right. And, and that has become so solidified in what I do. Like, personally, how I, I train, right? I have, haven't competed in a couple of years, but when I was competing more often, it was just like, I just have to get to, you know, let's make sure tomorrow's training session can happen and the next days and the next days. Yep. So I'm a minimum effective dose. I, I think that you can get so much done in the weight room with like 30 to 40 minutes of like very focused work with like a warm up and a cool down on either side, you're yep. in and out in under an hour. And I think you can like crush stuff. I mean, yeah. there, I won a couple of years ago, I won master's worlds in weightlifting and you know, the 35 to 39 division. So my little small group, right. I right. won that I'd lost the year before and I came back the next year and I won and I was really excited about it. And I kind of became friends with the guy who got second to me that year. And we we've talked and talked and talked. And he was t- like, he has some really interesting training stuff. He's like weightlifting, but loves Louis Simmons. And he's like talking about, he does this and this and this. And he's like, man, I just don't know if I can keep up these two and a half hour training sessions. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Right? Like, right. I, I was like, I train like 30 to 40 minutes a day. And he's like, uh, now? And I was like, no, for the last like four years, I trained 30 to 40 minutes a day. I go in, like I have one lift I'm going to do. I'm going to do it pretty intensely. And I'm going to do a couple accessories, some core or some corrective or a mobility or maybe, right. you know, some straight bro work. Yeah, but I'm gonna do like I'm done in 40 minutes of lifting, and like I'm never in the gym for longer than an hour. And he's like, "What?" He's like, "You beat me training under an hour a day, right?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." I was like, "Because I can train, like you know." uh, So yeah, I mean, I think I think small and frequent is like that's the way to go. Yeah, you know, I love it. I love it. Okay, last but not least, lightning round. Okay. Normally five questions. You're going to be six because I want to lead off. I want to hear this Louis Simmons impersonation, man. Okay. All right. Louis Simmons. You take the, the training of a 1,134 Soviet, highly qualified Soviet weightlifter. That's conjugate. That's conjugate. <laughs> I love it, man. And if you have not seen Louis talk, go watch some videos on the YouTubes because yeah. that's, that's my, pretty well, accurate. My impersonation has become an impersonation of an impersonation. But I do know that he likes to say highly qualified Soviet weightlifters. That's conjugate. That's yeah. conjugate, man. <laughs> I love it, man. So last time you were on, this is number two. Last time we talked about your career highlight as an athlete. What's your career highlight as a coach? Oh gosh, man, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, like still got the big dream out there, right? 
Yeah, I'm still shooting. I, I mean, if we can keep weightlifting in the Olympics, that's a totally different podcast. But yeah, uh, you know, getting somebody to the Olympic Olympic Games, so that that's gonna that will be it as a, a career highlight when I can do that. That's awesome. Okay, number three, how's the family doing, man? Because I think last time we talked, you were at two. Now yeah. you are at three. We're at three. Uh, we're good. My oldest son's in in first grade. My uh, middle son's in preschool. My youngest son's 18 months. He's taking a nap right now. Yes. Uh, but yeah, we're we're good. We're we're rocking. Three boys in one house, plus me and you know my poor wife. Yeah, that's a lot of testosterone, dude. Yeah, I love it. Okay, number four. What's the biggest fitness or business lesson you've learned either during or since COVID? Oh man, during or since. I'm just you. I think that every business should be on the lookout for their ability to like, you know, to reduce overhead costs, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. In, in any way, right? Like, yep. question your reasoning for having the lease that you have. Not that you need to break leases and jump out of it, but um, you know, just keep looking for those overhead costs to reduce. Um, and because you know you need to be really flexible in your your abilities. Hopefully, we never go through another COVID kind of thing. But I do think right. it's a it's a, it's the people that come out strong and like have multiple streams of revenue, plus their overheads, uh, at a minimal thing, they're going to be creating a business that's really sustainable. You know, if not COVID, but if three orange theories open up next door right. and two, you know, Soviet weightlifting coaches move in your neighborhood. Right. So you're right. still going to be flexible enough to find the people you want to train. Yeah. I love it, man. Okay. Number five, as you alluded to, you're a pretty accomplished weightlifter yourself, man. Do you have any goals left that you want to achieve as an athlete? I think that COVID came, like, honestly, COVID came at a time where all the meets that I would have done last year got kind of got canceled. And then I, I really switched into this coach mode where I was just like really focused on my athlete, Mary, and she's, you know, making international teams, my athlete, Dom, who's making the youth international teams and some of these athletes. And I just kind of like have really gotten comfortable with the fact that like, I'm a coach, right? Yeah. I'm, I like to work out. I like to lift, you know, that stuff's not going away, right. but my need to compete has minimized. Yeah. I think that I could, if anything, the only thing I will do is I'll probably do a meet at some point to call it my last meet. Right. Uh, so that I have yeah. like, a personal closure with yeah. like, just, this is my, this is the last time I'm competing, but I don't yeah. even know, you know, I think, you know, you got there before me, right. Yeah. Uh, a number of years ago where it's like, well, I'm a coach now. Right. Yeah. Like, and I still need to lift and I still need to train and cause I need to feel this and see that and experiment with this. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I view myself more as a Guinea pig now than, than an athlete. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Number six, last but not least, what's next for Will Fleming, man, uh, man, we got, we got these, uh, international trips. Hopefully weightlifting starts picking up in terms of competing. So we got, uh, I got a trip next week to Mexico. I'm going to per Peru in November. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. You know, next year, you know, we have uh, Greece as a trip for weightlifting and stuff like that. So hopefully just keep qualifying athletes for like international teams, uh, youth, junior, senior, and chase that dream of getting somebody to the Olympics. Yeah. You know, I never traveled internationally with powerlifting, but obviously did a lot of stuff domestically. It's such a fun way to see the world. You know what I mean? And if you're around the oh, right wow. people and, you know, you get to coach and you get to see the world, oh. like life could be a lot worse, you know? Yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. That's so, awesome. Yeah, that's it. I appreciate it. That's awesome, man. Well, Will, it's been great to catch up with you today. Where can my listeners find out more about you? I am like most active on Instagram. I'm at Will Fleming and it's one L in Will and one M in Fleming. Yeah, that's probably the most, the place I'm most active. You can see my lifters, uh, what I talk about training wise. And then, you know, the link in bio has my book on velocity based training yeah. for weightlifting, my website and all that kind of stuff on my online coaching too. So yeah, uh, at Will Fleming on Instagram is probably the best spot. I love it, man. Well, we'll get that link in there. And again, buddy, thanks so much for coming on, buddy. It was great to All catch right, thanks, up. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Will. Really hope you enjoyed it. I know he's one of those guys I love catching up with, super just friendly, affable, and we always have a great conversation. But I think the part of this show that I enjoyed the most was diving into the VBT stuff. As you know, this is something that we've used at iFast in the past, especially when Ty and Tony were in the house, but it's just such a great tool. I love the objectivity of it, and especially if you work with people that want to push weight. They want to push and push and push. They're not willing 
to listen to their body. They're not willing to be honestly subjective using things like RPE. I think VBT is a fantastic tool and one that is becoming ever more prevalent and ever more accessible to the end user. So if you enjoyed this episode, please do me one small favor. Go right now today and subscribe to wherever you consume podcasts. Doesn't matter, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, wherever you consume podcasts, go there right now, subscribe, so that you know each and every week when a new episode drops. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care. Bye.